0: Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to Quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, I have Gene Trowbridge. Gene is a former syndicator turned lawyer who, along with his partners, have written offerings for more than $5 billion of money raised. That's huge, and and I like to say, my, you know, I've done a little bit of that. Hope to do a lot more. Right. It. <laughs> right. Well, welcome, Gene. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do?
1: Sure, Gary. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me having me on. I think it's great, and I appreciate your business. Well, I've really had two careers now, Gary. I started out as a commercial real estate agent, and then I went into becoming a syndicator. I spent about twenty years syndicating, primarily building self-storage facilities throughout Southern California. And at some point, I decided that I'd had enough of that. You will hear me say, if you've heard me talk, which I know you have, that the care and maintenance of partners sometimes can become overwhelming. And it got there for me, given the size of the company I wanted to have and the number of people I wanted to have. I really needed to put that aside because I remember the last year I counted, we sent out 1,687 K-1s. We were representing about 850 investors. And that was, that was enough. So at 45, I went to law school. Gary and I thought going to law school would be just the perfect last 15 years of my career. And then I could retire when I was 60. And well, it's been 27 years now. So uh, hashtag not retiring, right?
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it.
1: And generally our business is working with uh, Regulation D, 506 offerings. We've done some Reg A plus offerings and some other esoteric stuff. A lot of it's real estate. We've done some dreaded cannabis offerings. We've done racehorses. We've done intellectual property. But I would say you know, eight out of ten of our deals is is real estate because that's where I come from.
0: I love that you have a very unique perspective by by being a former syndicator. So you've been through the process, and so you can have a really good you know viewpoint from a from a legal perspective.
1: Well, hell, Gary, I made all the mistakes, so I know uh, I know <laughs> I know what's going on, you know. So and I can sense when one of my clients. It's not really a mentoring thing, but it's close to I can really sense when one of my clients is getting close to the verge of making a mistake for one reason or another and hope I can reel them back,
0: you know, from that. Well, let's let's dive in and let's let's talk about asset disposition. I was Mm -hmm. lucky enough to sell two properties this year. You know, obviously, there's there's a lot of work that goes into the disposition of an asset. Just just like when you purchase a property, it's not all like, hey, sit back, go on vacation, and, and and chill. There's there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure, you know, you get to the finish line and you close out the books and do everything nice and neat. So let's start with the operating agreement. When you're getting ready to, you know, sell an asset, what do you need to do with the operating agreement? Well, you need to read it. You need
1: to read it. And depending upon the client, my client or someone else, the operating agreement will say that there's an expected holding period. You know, you have an acquisition strategy. You should also have a disposition strategy. And so you have a pretty much of a range, three to five, five to seven, something like that, years and uh, that isn't a guarantee that isn't anything it's just something that you tell the investors so that they have an idea that you're not going to have their money forever okay that's one of the big uh, the big concerns that there's money is going to be tied up forever but one of the interesting things i find is people because it says it in the operating agreement 3 to 5 years boy that 3 years comes and we're looking to sell well I think there's an issue. I think from the real estate side, if you sell and give all the investors their money back, what do they do with the money then? If the property is doing well, why would you absolutely have to sell it three year? And there's a whole analysis in the real estate world of how to determine the selling point. And it's all based on opportunity costs. What can you do with your money? So I'm a little concerned about that when I see syndicators uh, rushing to get the property sold right away. And then I wonder what the investors can do with the money because I'm not sure the investors want the money back if there isn't any way they can uh, reinvest it. So you have to read what does your PPM and what does your operating agreement say? Then you have to get into the section, Gary, where we talk about voting rights does the operating agreement give Gary the right to make a decision to sell, refinance, or exchange exclusively on his own choice? Or do we have a vote? And um, many experienced syndicators take the position that they have the absolute authority to make the decision. And I think that's okay for maybe a refinance and sale I don't agree with that on an exchange because an exchange takes your investors into brand new investment. And I actually think in exchange, you really need a new PPM. You need to tell the people, what are we doing now? What's the next property? So experienced syndicators who have dealt with the same investors over and over many, many times will take absolute authority on when to sell or refinance. But less experienced syndicators, Gary, will will put some voting in there like a majority or maybe even 75%. I think that a real inexperienced syndicator will go as high as maybe 75% to get the vote from the members to sell for a couple of reasons. Number one, they think that's good for marketing. They think that the investors really want to make that decision. And number two, if if they do that, that'll help them raise money. And I don't necessarily agree that uh, the investors have any idea when it's the right time to sell. I think it's the syndicator, the sponsors' obligation to present to the investors the plan. What is it that we've decided to do? And if in fact you have the absolute right to do it, Gary, do it. If it takes a vote, lay out the plan. If your plan is good, you'll get the vote you want and then you'll be able to uh, go forward. And in either of those cases, if your plan is bad, Gary, you know, you'll hear about it from your clients. They'll, they'll let you know. And that's always good, positive uh, feedback. So now that you know what the authority is, you go ahead and I don't know if you list the property or do it yourself. I I actually think it's a conflict for a sponsor to handle the sale, the listing totally by themselves because the sponsor, I mean, I was in the commercial business, commercial real estate business, listing and selling properties for almost 20 years. But after I'd been a syndicator for 10 years, I didn't have any buyers lined up. I didn't have any knowledge of what the market was so i think i would have been doing my my clients a disservice not to list with the best broker i could find in the area and this particular property type because that'll get the investors the most money at least that would be the plan so you list the property and go forward and you go through the sale the next thing that we have to do in the in the operating agreement most operating agreements in, in Article 4 talk about distribution. What do you do with the money? And it's distribution operations, distribution and a capital event, when you give people their money back, and then dissolution. One of the things I think that a syndicator, and I have some practical experience on this, has to understand is just because the property is sold, that's not the last thing you have to do. You've got yourself an LLC out there. And right now, you may have distributed all the money, but you still have an LLC with all these members. And you've got a state that wants an annual tax return, a 1065. You've got the federal, you know, you've got stuff that you have to do. So, on uh, the disposition of the final asset, you have to make a plan for how are you going to dissolve the LLC. And that's typically a, a document sent to the IRS. You know, this is our last tax return. You check that box. And a document or two documents sent to the state that you're dissolving the LLC. And if you don't do that, I don't know when you're going to play this, but we're talking here in December. If you don't do that right, January 1st, you still have your LLC operating with all of your members, but no property. You are already set to file another tax return in a year. Because you, you have to do all that and there's going to be a fee to the state and you have to pay the CPA to, uh, to do the tax returns. So you, you have to kind of plan that. But one of the things that happens if you, if you close early in the year, then I think you don't worry about dissolving everything right away. There's no reason to dissolve it right away. And I would keep some money, I don't know, 5000 $10,000, whatever you think is right in the bank account. Because things happen after the property is sold. You never know if you're going to get sued. You never know what's going to happen. So you have to keep some money. And of course, you'd have to keep the money to pay for the final tax return and all that. If you close at the end of the year, I wouldn't advise you to close out your, your LLC. Because you really need that LLC around for a while to catch up on anything that might happen so that you still have the asset protection. And so you might just, if you're closing in December, just understand that your LLC will be open for the following year. You'll have to do another another tax return and you'll have to file the documents at that time and, and close it down. Here's a mistake I made, Gary. One of the properties we sold way back when, when there wasn't really any bank financing, we carried the paper seller carryback, maybe 30% of the purchase price we carried. And uh, I went ahead and distributed all the money to the people. And all of a sudden, I was stuck because I had an LLC that was open because we had an asset, we had paper, it was going to be there for three years, no interest payments, straight notes, So every year I had to file a tax return and all the things necessary to keep that, to send out K-1s and everything to keep that fund open. And I hadn't budgeted for that. It's really hard to go to the investors and say, okay, send me some of this money back because I've got some costs. So I ate all that cost, But I knew in that situation going forward that what I could have done at that time is taken that note and divvied the note up to multiple beneficiaries and put every investor as a beneficiary of that note to their percentage. So it went right to them and bypassed the LLC and then closed the LLC. And I wouldn't have had to do tax returns. I wouldn't have had to do anything. I just would have had to be around when the money came in so I could make the, uh, the distributions. So I think that's important. Uh, just because the property's sold, remember your entity is still there. You still have investors. You still have reporting requirements and I would, I would count on my CPA because I'm long gone at that time from the deal. I would count on the CPA to tell you how to dissolve the LLC depending upon what, you're, what state you're in because they're all different, how to dissolve that and how to set up a budget for remaining accounting costs and IRS issues while you close down the entity.
0: Obviously there's a lot ways on the CPA but if you close maybe in July you should be okay to close by the end of December but
1: I think you're right I I do know some professional advisors who recommend that you keep the LLC open an additional year Just in case there's some lingering lawsuits that come by, especially in new construction or extensive rehab work. I know people recommend that. So that's fine. So talk to your advisors and see what they have to say.
0: A lot of information there. We talked about voting rights and 1031s and, and closing an entity. Let's spend a little bit of time on the 1031 part, because I know. You know, typically a deal is like three to five years and, and of late, a lot of people are selling like we have much earlier than that, just because of time value of money, taking advantage of the marketplace, locking in returns. And so if you do want to do a 1031, and sometimes depending upon your, your sponsorship team, you may want to do it, you may not. But, you know, let's let's say you have about 80% of the people that still want to move forward with a 1031. Talk about that process because I know you can like sure. buy out some people and, and and how to make it nice and neat as best as you can.
1: We do one of those at least every month because if you've bought property from oh 2015 until now, you've got equity. And so the people might be interested in in transferring that equity to a new property without paying taxes so that's where the 1031 tax deferred exchange comes through well as i said it's it's really a new offering you'd have to go to the investors and lay out your plan and see what they have to say and i think you'd need to do a new ppm a new subscription agreement you would use the same operating agreement you just you may modify it at the time maybe the first deal it called for a preferred return, but Gary, in this next deal, we're not going to do a preferred return. So you may have to amend the operating agreement. But I think it's a full set of documents to do the new uh, the new deal. And there's really three ways it can go. Number one, everyone goes with you, and the entity which owns the property sells all the money goes to the accommodator. The entity finds another property to buy. The accommodator sends the money to the escrow and you close on the next property. And there's no real changes. Just one property to another because that's 1031. Real estate equity can be exchanged for real estate equity and get total tax deferral. Cool. Another alternative is maybe I only have 80% of the people who want to go forward. But that's really enough to get the new property. And how you structure that with the accommodator is you have to get the answer from the investors at the time that the first property sells. If you're not going to go, I need to know now, and I need to know how much money we're going to give you. If you're going to go with us, then all the rest of the money goes to the accommodator. So basically, you'd have two escrows. You'd have an escrow to sell the property Or the part of the property for the people who want to cash out and escrow to uh, sell the property for the people who want to do an exchange. And then the accommodator doesn't want the money that's going to go to the people who want out. Escrow will send you the money and you just write the checks. The accommodator just wants the money that goes in the new deal. You know, the rule on exchanging is you have to go equal or greater in value in the property you acquire or equal or greater in value to the loan that you take. Well, by doing two escrows, you cut down the size of what's left to exchange, right? Because some of the people, let's say 20% of the people, you're selling a $10 million property and 20% of the people want the money back. So we're only worried about exchanging $8 million of value and that proportion of the loan, okay? And that's important because you could just simply do that. That's the second alternative. People leave, fine, but there's enough people left to do the exchange. The third alternative is enough people leave, and now you don't have enough money to do the exchange. What do you do then? Well, that's fine, and that's done. You do the same thing. You have the two escrows. Money goes uh, to the investors who want to leave, and then the rest of the money is in the accommodator account, but it's not enough to buy the new property at the size it has to be and the loan that it has to be. So you go out and you modify the operating agreement, and you bring in a new class of investors. If you can imagine, Gary, your, your operating agreement at the time of the sale has Class A investors, and Class B investors. And the Class A investors who came in, they all now have a capital account. It's been years and things have been going on and they have a capital account. Well, the new investors are just bringing in cash. So how do you do, deal with that? My suggestion based on the people I talk to is just add a Class C investor. Class C investors come in, their new money, their cash establishes there. A capital account on day one, and the accountant keeps track of A and C as investors and B as the manager, and it just goes forward. You don't have any problem doing that. The only problem you can have, depending upon the state, is some state laws say that if more than a certain percent of the LLC changes hands, like California, 50%. If more than 50% of the LLC changes hands, the LLC is dissolved. Well, you better think about that. And some states have, California used to have the rule that if more than 50% of the ownership changed, it would be reassessed for taxes. We don't have that rule now, but those are the two things I'd concern myself with and get some advice uh, from the lender. And from the CPA, if we have to have people take a bunch of money out, do we have enough left to go forward and not cause a problem with the LLC being dissolved with the lender? Of course, the properties, there's no property anymore. There's just an LLC with cash. So it really doesn't make too much difference what the lender does because the lender will go into the new property. But other than that, the lender could, could have a due on sale clause if enough people transfer. So you have to be careful on how uh, on how you do that. So there are three choices. Everyone goes into the exchange, amen. Some people want to leave and, and like I'm 73 years old, I don't want to go in the, into the next 10 year old. I want my money, okay? But we don't have too many people who want that. So we still have enough money if we divide up the price. We still have enough money to take the existing investors forward in exchange. Or we don't have enough money and we have to raise some more money. And that can be done by existing investors adding and or new investors coming in. We just have to modify the operating agreement to to let that happen and we're fine. But a lot of exchanges, a lot of exchanges. And then the most complicated thing of all, we did one this year, Gary, where we needed to raise $50 million dollars to buy a property. And you can imagine this is a big property. And we had two investors who had properties that they wanted to exchange, but it wasn't enough for 50 million. So the syndicator, the Gary in the deal went out and put together an LLC to raise 10. So we've got 40 from two different things and 10, and they all take title as tenants in common. That's pretty common if you would, uh, I think that's a terrible way to run and manage properties, but that does solve the uh, the tax deferral because each person gets their own deed. They give up title to the property they had, and they get a deed to a specific amount of title in the new property,
0: and that qualifies so that
1: uh, we, we see quite a bit of that going on.
0: Tenants in Common, that's a whole other podcast to talk about. But I want to talk about the minimum threshold really quickly. You mentioned California 50%. I would assume that's, that's really the minimum threshold to do like a 1031, correct?
1: Yeah, I think if you lose more than 50% of your investors, it's not really a great idea. So either don't do that transaction now and wait for another one or sell and, and give everyone their money back.
0: Well, that's a ton of information on 1031. I, I know I learned a lot more today. Uh, I mean, I've been staying on top of all the different rules, but I, I learned a bunch today. So I appreciate that, and I'm Good. sure our listeners are going to learn a ton today. So thank you so much, Gene, for coming on the show and talking about, you know, asset disposition. You know, where can listeners find out more about you and and um, your company?
1: Well, look right behind me. There's our phone number. And that's the general office. You can call them and then they'll get in touch with me. Our website is at Trowbridge Law A lot of good things on our website. And we have a great YouTube channel, Trowbridge Law, where we have a number of a number of presentations where we've interviewed syndicators and I primarily talk about topics. I've got, to, I know a YouTube on 1031 and I've got a YouTube on uh, Tenants in Commons.
0: So. And people can find you at a lot of conferences. You are definitely are out there and work in the circuit. So um,
1: education-based all... marketing, Gary, yep. education-based marketing, okay?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, to all of our listeners, thanks for listening in. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe and review this podcast as it will help us grow our audience and reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do, head over to breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gary. Hey, everyone. If you like what you hear on my podcast and want to learn more, check out my Amazon best selling book, Best in Class, How to Manage Your Multifamily Asset, Avoid Mistakes, and Build Wealth Through Real Estate. And if you want to take your learning to a whole nother level, register for my asset management course available on assetmanagementmastery.com. I'll share all the things that we do and many of our resources to help you become a best-in-class operator. Go to assetmanagementmastery.com and step up your game today.